So a few weeks ago, as we started this new year together, we invited you to consider a reboot. Uh, what would it look like for us to enter 2022 and reconsider some things? And so three weeks ago, Catherine kicked it off with the word remember. So we started by remembering God's faithfulness, the steadfast, enduring, never-ending love of God which then led us into a remembrance of our baptisms uh, and a, a way for us to recommit ourselves to living in response to that steadfast love. <clears throat> then the next week, we looked at the word recenter and uh, focused on that passage from the Gospels where uh, it takes us to the very core of the good news and what it looks like for us to live as disciples, to love God and to love people. And to recognize that when we do one, we are doing the other. And they both go together hand in hand. Then last week, Catherine focused on the word restore. Uh, what does it look like for us to be at work restoring relationships with one another and also being restored by God's grace in the process, both as individuals and as community? So today, we wrap up this series with the word reimagine. And oh my goodness, as I think over the last couple of years, we have done a whole lot of, or we've needed to do a whole lot of reimagining, haven't we? If you go back to January 2020, how many things across the last couple of years have we needed to reconsider or think about differently in so many different ways? And just in terms of thinking about church, who would have thought back in January 2020 that we would have spent six months doing worship only virtually with just a handful of us in here each Sunday gathering and the rest of you online connecting with us? Or, or who would have thought that we would have done a virtual vacation Bible camp or, or that we would have had a, a youth team going out to ding-dong ditch gifts at the doors of, of our youth in order to, to maintain some sense of connection? Or that even now, two years later, and I know this because I've just been looking at the statistics this past week that we have to report to our annual conference on an annual basis, that even now, when we gather for worship on Sunday morning, there are three times as many of us doing so online, welcome, we're glad you're here with us, as there are in person. Um, such are the times in which we find ourselves. And so as we reimagine today, I wanted to take us to the book of Revelation. Now, before you get too worried about that, let me assure you that Revelation is a really good place for us to go for this. You may hold in your memory an experience with Revelation that wasn't all that positive. Uh, far too often it gets used and has been misused and misappropriated as a scare tactic into the faith, uh, as a way to literally scare the hell out of people. But, but that's really not the intention of the book of Revelation. Yes, it's got some interesting and confusing and, and perhaps even disturbing and alarming and, and frightening images in it. It's highly symbolic. The book is highly symbolic and, and for good reason. John of Patmos, who is credited with writing the book of Revelation, was doing so at a time 
when the early Christian church was under significant persecution and hardship. There was threat of retaliation against the church in all sorts of places. And so in order to offer a word of hope, he needed to do so in a way that wasn't just literal or blatant. And so he used this highly symbolic language that, of course, sounds frightening in some places because they were scary times. The church was living in scary times. But ultimately, the goal is to offer a hopeful vision, to offer encouragement, a vision for the future that would be worth holding on to and embracing even while present circumstances didn't seem like that could be the case. That vision, the vision that really all of Revelation finally points toward, comes into full view with the passage that we're going to take a look at today. Revelation 21, the next to last chapter, not only of the book, but of the entire Bible, the way it is put together for us. Um, And whereas Genesis 1 and 2 at the beginning of our Bible are stories of origin, they tell us about where we came from, uh, Revelation 21 and 22, the last two chapters of the Bible, are stories of destination. They tell us about where we're going or where we're headed. So I invite you to follow along as I read for us these verses from chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the former heaven and the former earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne say, look, God's dwelling is here with humankind. God will dwell with them and they will be his people's. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. There will be no mourning, crying, or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making all things new. He also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the word of God for the people of God. And God's people say, thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Come Holy Spirit and breathe life into the words of this servant. That they might carry a word from you into our hearts and lives today. Amen. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Right at the outset of this chapter and of this vision, there is something extraordinary and different from what we might expect going on. So begins the climax of the vision of Revelation, and for that matter, of all of Scripture. And as N.T. Wright in his book, Surprised by Hope, and other theologians have pointed out What we see in this moment is a coming together. Rather than being separate and distinct and very different, the two, earth and heaven, are not finally diametrically opposed but are meant to be united. 
Contrary to what is sometimes taught and even preached, it is not that earth is bad and heaven is good or that earth is fundamentally evil and heaven is not and therefore we should be seeking to fly away to, but rather in the goodness of God, it is all meant to be good and it is meant to be one. And so rather than longing for an escape from earth, The vision that we find here at the end of Revelation today is one that invites us to hope for the very day that we pray for almost every week in worship. You all know that prayer, don't you? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, where? On earth as it is in heaven. You know, we say that prayer so often, we we may just kind of run right by that phrase without thinking about what we're saying, but it's, it's deeply connected to this vision that we find at the end of Revelation, that earth is not diametrically opposed from heaven, but in fact is meant to be a manifestation of what heaven is like. We also hear it every time the Hallelujah Chorus is sung from the Messiah, That beautiful phrase in the middle of that song that says, the kingdom of this world, of this world, has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Earth and heaven united as one, both reflecting the goodness and the glory of God. Well, well, that's a good start toward us reimagining things, isn't it? And in the times we are living in, it is a good time for us to reimagine, especially as we consider our existence here on earth. Now, the last two years haven't been the worst ever, contrary to what some folks might want to lead us to believe. Some pundits might push that idea on us, but certainly if we look back in history, there are some far worse times that have gone before us. But that does not negate or discount the fact that the last couple of years have been challenging. They have been a couple of years in a lot of different ways. And perhaps there have been moments when some of you have thought, yeah, I would like to escape this. I would like to just fly away. And so that kind of points us to the idea that we need visions in our time for a future that is filled with hope, one that, ones that point us forward to better days ahead, that we don't have to wait until heaven comes for, but, but that we can hope for and anticipate even here on earth. Last weekend, our son Sid and his wife Manandi came down to visit us, and we were so glad to have some time to connect with them. And um, Sid and I, on Saturday evening, were sitting together on the couch in our den watching the Chiefs and the Bills football game. And we're just enjoying football, right? And it's a great game, and so I am deeply entrenched in the game, and I think Sid is as well, when all of a sudden, this question pops out from him. He says, Dad... He says, what's one thing that you hope happens in Trinity before you retire? It's like, well, Sid, we're watching the Chiefs and the Bills. That's kind of a zinger to throw at me in the middle of a football game. 
And I had to be honest with myself. In that moment, I, I was struggling to answer the pointedness of that question because for the last couple of years, I don't know about you, but a lot of the time it has felt like it was enough just to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Anybody else feel that way? And sometimes it felt like maybe you were taking a couple of steps back or somebody was pushing you a couple of steps back. And it was just one foot in front of the other. And, and that doesn't mean that there hasn't been a lot going on. And, and, and I've been, you know, encouraging and supporting and participating in a lot of things that, that are good things that are happening in the life of the church. But, but Sid's question was one thing. What's the one thing? That's a question that calls for focus, for clarity about what it is that you are looking for and desiring and seeking. Well, this passage from Revelation 21, I think, has the potential to, to launch us into all kinds of imagining and ways of looking ahead with some focus and with some clarity. And as I look through this passage, I find some characteristics on which to build visions that are hopeful and anticipatory. So I wanna look at five particular phrases that are embedded in these five verses this morning. The first one is this phrase that's right up at the very front, the sea was no more. Another one of those phrases that you might just kind of gloss right over and, and not really think much of it. But, but what we need to understand or remember is that in biblical times, the sea was understood to be the place where chaos resided. It was from the underbelly of the sea that all kinds of evil could bubble up. The evil creatures lived in the sea. And so go back and remember in the Gospels when Jesus calms the waters. Remember that scene when the, when the disciples are scared? They are on the sea and he comes and calms the waters. It's a sign of Jesus having power even over the evil. And so when John cast this vision that the sea is no more, it is this idea that there is no more chaos. There is no more threat of evil. It is all good. Then he goes on and says, I saw the holy city coming down. And notice the direction here. It is not that we have to initiate and go up anywhere. It is that God chooses to come down and to bring the holy city, the one and perfect city, unlike the cities that existed at the time, will come and will take the place of the cities of empire that were characterized by injustice and oppression and evil. God brings the one good and perfect city down to God's people. Which then points to the next phrase, God's dwelling is here with humankind or in another translation, with all peoples. Eugene Peterson gets so excited in his translation, he says, look, look, God is here. And the vision is a communal one. 
with there being no more sea that not only creates chaos but also creates separation among different parts of the human family. Everyone is together in the presence of the one and holy God. And in that presence and in that space, the good news comes that death will be no more. No longer will people be taken away from us. No longer will we lose those we love as they depart. Death, again, as Eugene Peterson says in his translation, is gone for good. The suffering is over. Every tear wiped away. All mourning and sorrow past. And all of God's children are gathered. And in that vision, in that space, we hear the claim that the one on the throne, Jesus the Lamb, makes, I am making all things new. Which is a reminder to us that whatever has been, whatever is in our past, whatever has been broken, whatever has been lost, can be restored and that the past, no matter how bad it may have been, does not handcuff the possibilities of the future. Proverbs 29:18, in the good old King James Version, says, where there is no vision, the people perish. In other translations, it says, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint or the people have no control. Vision brings focus and purpose and direction and clarity. A compelling vision for the future has the power to shape action in the present And, in fact, if a vision is to be realized, we must live toward what it is that we imagine. We must be enacting now or learning to enact now what it is that we hope to see in the future. And so as we look at those verses and we think about those five things... The sea was no more. I saw the holy city coming down. God's dwelling is here among all the people. Death will be no more. I am making all things new. What is John of Patmos saying to us perhaps this morning about what action now looks like that leans into that future? Well, it says resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. That very question that we all responded to today as we were reminded of the vows of membership in the life of the church. And instead of those things, pursue peace and the well-being of all people. If the holy city is what is meant to come down and be among us, then, then let's be at work building the city God has in mind Instead of the ones that are too often of our own making that 
that show preferential treatment to ourselves or to some while others endure hardship and oppression. If God's dwelling is intended to be here, then let's live as if God really is in our midst. Have you ever thought about what that would look like? If you just on a day-to-day basis imagined God is right here in this conversation that I'm having with this person, in this interaction that we are having together as community. God is right here. How does that change the way we approach every interaction that we have when we realize that God is here and we are all inextricably bound to each other as brothers and sisters? If death will be no more, if it's gone for good and the suffering is over, then then right now let's work to relieve suffering, to wipe away people's tears, to restore hope. That question that Sid asked me last weekend, I figured out this, this is where it points me to in terms of my answer. That, that as the church, every one of us would be involved in some way, and there are a lot of ways to do it, but every one of us would be involved in some way in the ministry of relieving the suffering of others and restoring hope. And if God really is making all things new, then let's trust in the power of God's transformation, both for ourselves And also for others. And believe that no one is beyond redemption. That's a lot of living. It's a lot of challenges for us. Which is why I am grateful for the poets and the prophets that can keep nudging us and keep inspiring us both with vision and with calls to action that lean into those visions. One of the voices I've been listening to lately that I'm particularly appreciative of is the voice of Amanda Gorman. She composed a poem at the beginning of this year entitled, New Day's Lyric. And while I can't begin to render it quite like Ms. Gorman does, I want to offer it to us this morning. May this be the day we come together. Morning we come to mend. Withered we come to weather. Torn we come to tend. Battered we come to better. Tethered by this year of yearning, we are learning that though we weren't ready for this, we have been readied by it. We steadily vow that no matter how we are weighed down, we must always pave a way forward. This hope is our door, our portal, even if we never get back to normal. Someday we can venture beyond it. 
to leave the known and take the first steps. So let us not return to what was normal, but reach toward what is next. What was cursed, we will cure. What was plagued, we will prove pure. Where we tend to argue, we will try to agree. Those fortunes we foreswore, now the future we foresee. Where we weren't aware, we are now awake. Those moments we missed are now these moments we make. The moments we meet. And our hearts, once all together beaten, now all together beat. Come. Look up with kindness yet, for even solace can be sourced from sorrow. We remember not just for the sake of yesterday, but to take on tomorrow. We heed this old spirit in a new day's lyric. In our hearts we hear it. For auld lang syne, my dear, for auld lang syne, be bold, sang time this year. Be bold, sang time. For when you honor yesterday, tomorrow, ye will find. Know what we fought need not be forgotten, nor for none. It defines us, binds us as one. Come over. Join this day just begun for wherever we come together. We will forever overcome. We shall overcome. If you know it, sing it. We shall overcome. We shall overcome. Someday, oh, deep in my heart, I do believe we shall overcome some.